Thank you, guys. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Uh, better. Maybe you're confused because Gladwin introduced me as Jason from Acts 15. Did you hear that? I don't know, mate. Acts 17 is Jason. Two more chapters. We'll get there. All right. I'm Jason from Bexley North. Sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you. Um, one note, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity this evening to look at it. We pray that as we come to it, we'll stop and that by your spirit, you'll speak to us through your word tonight for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, it's been a terrible week, hasn't it? A terrible week for earthquakes, floods, uh, there's a cyclone somewhere. And of course, in Australia, there was bushfires. What a terrible week. It's kind of apocalyptic. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to talk to someone about this during the week. I went to one of my daughter's uh, music classes Thursday afternoon and the sky was red and he was just staring and I said, it's apocalyptic, isn't it? It's like Jesus is coming back and we had a great gospel conversation. Uh, I don't know if you've had that opportunity. It was uh, an unexpected one. But it was a week in which it could have been worse even. Uh, if you're someone who follows these things, this week the United States almost went bust. Can you imagine it? The United States almost had no money. Only God knows what would have happened this week if a compromise couldn't have been made. So in the old days, when people couldn't pay loans, big guys with baseball bats would go around and they'd knock on your door and they'd kind of poke around your house and they'd go, that car's worth something. They'd take it away and they'd hold their bats threateningly. But what do you do when China's the major creditor? Like, does China send around a couple of guys with baseball bats into the Oval Office, kind of knock on the table... That's mahogany. This isn't. Mahogany, sort of push back. Oh, there's a safe. Just looking for $150 billion worth of assets somewhere. Something like that. What do you do? In a crisis, what do you do? Fortunately, the disaster was averted. And uh, I don't know about you, but I would have liked to be a fly on the wall for this one. Wouldn't it have been interesting to just watch the compromises that were made, the sort of backroom deals that you don't get to see very often? But the compromises made sure the US didn't shut down. So that was good news, amongst many bad news this week. So in a crisis, people come together and they have to compromise. Now, it's true for Christians as well. Uh, this week, Phil's away in Nairobi at GAFCON. And this is going to be a week where people are meeting together because they, they believe that Anglicans should follow the Bible. And that's a fantastic thing. But not everyone's on the same page here. And there's going to be compromises made. And so the question is, where do these Christians who come together and say the Bible is our authority, where can compromises be made? Uh, you should pray for Phil, actually, too. He's probably arriving there about now. Uh, pray for him in the week and all of those people, especially after the terrorism that's been in Nairobi the last couple of weeks. But there are places where we need to make compromises. In today's passage, we have a crisis it's actually the first council, Christians coming together to work out what to do, what compromises should be made. Uh, so what I want to do, I want to run through the narrative, so chapter 15 to 16.5, so not all, more than what we read today, and then come back and focus on two issues. So that's where we're going. Uh, so let me so run through the narrative, have a look at the chapter so that you know where we're going here. So the big picture, the book of Acts, as hopefully you know, is about the gospel going out. So from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And last week was really exciting because we saw Paul's first missionary trip. And that was great because Gentiles were becoming Christians. 
But today the controversy comes exactly because of the mission. I see early on it was pretty easy for the Christians because they all had the same worldview. They're all Jewish. The leaders were Jewish. Everyone sort of thought about the world in the same way. But then the Gentiles had to be converted. And you imagine what sort of backgrounds and ideas and religious sort of obstacles and all the things that that brings to the table as people think about living as Christians. It was complicated. So Paul here was in Antioch at the start of chapter 15. Antioch's about 250 kilometers up the coast from Jerusalem. And this is what is said. Uh, verse 1, chapter 15. So some men come down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now you can imagine how this stirred things up. Here we are talking to a whole bunch of Gentiles. Most of the men wouldn't have been circumcised. And you're saying, you have to be circumcised. Wow. Well, naturally, Paul and Barnabas could feel, well, this is going to be hard. And they debated furiously. But the end result was they had to go back to Jerusalem. They had to go back to the apostles and, and those that were uh, in Jerusalem. So verse 4 takes us back there. And the question is, how are the Gentiles saved? And the Christians from the Jewish background, those, those Pharisees, those law lovers, stood up and have their say. And then Peter and then Paul and Barnabas and then James. They all have their say. And what happens is they actually come up with an agreement. After all of the talking, they come up with an agreement they write this letter, they send it back to Antioch, and when it gets back to Antioch, along with Paul and Barnabas and two others to kind of validate that this had happened, everyone's kind of happy. The result was, okay, it's okay, what we've been doing is fine, move on. Now this is all probably about 10 years after Jesus had died and risen again, and pretty soon things settled back into normal routines. Paul and Barnabas got back to ministry, and Judas and Silas, they went back to Jerusalem, and things moved on. Till eventually, verse 36, Paul and Barnabas said, hey, we should go back and visit all those churches we went to. That's a good idea. And you'd think, no problem with that, they'd go, right? So verse 36, let's go back, visit the brothers in every town we've preached the message of the Lord to and see how they're doing. Now you'd think Paul and Barnabas would go, great, let's all go together, no problem. They'd be fairly joyful about it, I'd imagine. How great would it be to go and visit people that have become Christians and check up on them? That would be great. I love doing that kind of thing. But no, we read. No. Paul and Barnabas, they have an argument. They argue about a silly thing. Should we take John Mark along with us? And they can't find a compromise. And in the end, they go their separate ways. Paul takes Silas. Uh, John Mark goes along with Barnabas. And off they go. They go to do actually the same thing, but they go to different parts of the world and they do it in different ways. And then the final part of today's passage, chapter 16, is Paul meeting Timothy in Lystra. I don't know if you've heard of Timothy before, but we do across the New Testament. Timothy's like the first ministry trainee, uh, the world's first probably. And Paul picks him up and takes him along. That, that's the big picture. That's the quick fire big picture of what we're on about today. But it's not the big picture that really drives this. It's the issues in it. So these are the two things I want us to dig down into now, knowing the big picture, right? So the first one is this massive theological question. How are we saved? How are we saved? What must you believe? What can you compromise when it comes to salvation? That's a big question, right? The second issue, not quite as theologically huge, but this can have 
practical consequences that can tear churches apart. What are Christians supposed to do when they disagree? I mean, should Christians disagree at all? We're all Christians, we're brothers and sisters, surely. Should we disagree? But can we disagree? And how do we reach compromise? So these two issues, that's what we want to to have a look at today. So we're going to start with that first one, the big one, how are we saved? And it's really more specific. It's how are non-Jewish people saved? That's what's happening in Acts 15. Because the challenge in verse 1 is, unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. Now, does that mean, is that weird? Does that mean, ladies, bad luck? You can't be circumcised, you can't be saved. Does it mean, well, men, circumcised on day one, sorry, should have waited, should have read the law, eighth day only. If you're not circumcised on the eighth day, you can't be saved. Is that what the Pharisees are thinking? You have to follow exactly that. Well, I don't think it's that, and I'll show you why in a second. But it's weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird that we're talking about circumcision? You know what circumcision is, right? I don't need to tell you what circumcision is. I have to tell you, my first Bible study group after becoming a Christian, it's almost 20 years ago now, I was almost 20. I'd become a Christian two weeks later. I said, why don't you come and join this group? Sure, that'd be great. We're studying Galatians. I don't know what you do in a Bible study group. I just went. Someone's laughing already. They know where we're going with this. I don't know what you do in a Bible study group. So I just sat there. There was men and there was women. And I sat there for an hour of debate on what is the uncircumcised group? What is the circumcised group? And I'm looking at these men and these women and I'm going, what is wrong with you guys? What is wrong with you guys? Like you told me this is about Jesus. And we're talking about foreskins. Do you, do you realize what we're talking about here? This is really weird. And I thought I'd been duped. And I was kind of, after that Bible study, I thought, I'm never going back to Bible study again. This is so weird. Christianity, whew. Fortunately, sanity prevailed by the end of the Bible study group. And we actually talked about why we were talking about circumcision. Because it is weird. So if you're thinking, why do I keep saying that word? This is really weird. It's okay. I understand. I understand. Let me show you where it's from. It's from Genesis 17. What does it actually mean? Why do we have circumcision? Because God said. God said to Abraham's family, on the eighth day, circumcise the boys. Do this ongoing. This will be a reminder of the relationship that I have with you. And this is my covenant with you and your people down the track. Do this to remember that. God sent it as a sign. He told them to do it. The eighth day circumcision. Now, why it had to be that particular sign? Like, of all the signs you could come up, why that sign? I don't know. I've heard lots of speculation today when I talked about this this morning, why it was, but I'm not going to share that because it's unhelpful. Why is it something that only males could have? What does it say about males that it was this kind of thing for them? I don't know. But the fact is that circumcision came to be shorthand for Jewish. You can see it in verse 5. Uh, this is where those Pharisees I was talking about, they stand up, they stand up to argue back about, at the council and they say, it is necessary to circumcise them and to keep them, uh, to, to command them to keep the law of Moses. So in other words, for converted Pharisees, what they're thinking is Christianity equals Judaism plus Jesus. Judaism plus Jesus. That is Christianity. So they have to become Jews and then they can be Christians. That's what they're thinking. Now, Peter, a Jew himself, he couldn't come at that. So look at his answer here. Uh, From verse 10, it's this great comeback to the Pharisees. He says, now then, 
Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Now, what a great comeback. He's basically saying, my Pharisee brothers, you couldn't keep the law. Do you know the gospel? You couldn't keep the law. Jesus had to come. That's why he came, because you can't keep the law. So why are you going to try and make them keep the law? As if they could. On the contrary, verse 11, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. So all of us, says Peter, Jews, Gentiles, we're saved by grace. God's grace. God's kindness in Jesus. Now Peter then pulls a trump card that none of us can do. He pulls out this card and he says, have a look. Do you know who I am? Do you remember who I am? I am Peter. Do you remember what I saw? Back in, back in the day of Pentecost, I was there when the disciples had the Holy Spirit come upon them, confirming that they were God's people. I was there. I stood up and I spoke for Jesus on that day. And then I was there that day that Cornelius' family turned to Jesus. And I saw the Holy Spirit come upon them, upon the Jews and the Gentiles. I've seen it. Here's my argument. I've seen it. It's happened. It's true. Peter could do that. That's not something we can all do because he saw it. He had this unique relationship. He was a hard act to follow. You can imagine the first council, everyone sort of scratching their heads going, whoa, I don't want to speak after that. That was Peter. But Paul and Barnabas, they had something good to tell as well. So probably after a little while, Paul and Barnabas got up. They had this great story. Verse 12, the whole assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and the wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now we've started having a look at some of those signs and wonders and we'll see more as we go along through Acts. But God was working and so Paul, Barnabas, they have the same argument. They pull the same trump card. We've seen it. How can you say they can't be Christians? Because we've seen it. We've seen them turn to the Lord. We've seen the Holy Spirit at work. These guys are Christians. So two arguments from experience. Then we have James stand up. James is the uh, brother of Jesus. And his answer kind of brings this all together. He says, brothers, listen to me, verse 13. He says, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? Doesn't the scripture already say this? Verse 16, God told you through the prophets. Look what he says. After these things, I'll return and I'll rebuild David's fallen tent, says God. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does these things, known from long ago. Now this quote, it's a bit of a weaving together of a few prophets. It's not a direct quote. Uh, it's a few things, but mainly from Amos. This quote tells us what we've seen in Isaiah, doesn't it? God always planned to build his people. He always planned the Gentiles to have a place. That's great because he planned for you guys to have a place. Yes, David fell, the great King David. God promised long ago, though, that wasn't the end. He would build his people and that would include us, Gentiles. Salvation is by grace. That was the point at that first council, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about keeping laws, as if you could. It's not about being Jewish, as if you'd want to. It's not about being a good person. In the end of the first council, it all was pretty simple, especially when Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James all stand up to defend the grace of Jesus. 
But James is the one I, I think is most like us. So those other guys pulled their trump cards out. We can't do that. None of us can say, the Holy Spirit told me so. I've seen this happen. We just weren't there. But what we can do is we can pull the scripture card. It's another card. We can pull the scripture card. Our doctrine, our theology, what we know of God, how we respond to God, it's all tied up with the scripture. And that's why knowing your Bible, reading your Bible, learning your Bible, it's so important. It's why Luther goes on about it here. It's why I go on about it at Bexley North. It's why we all go on about it to each other. Knowing the Bible is the only way you're going to know God. If you don't listen to God and his word, how could you be like Paul? Honestly, how could you be like Paul and defend the faith if you don't even know the Bible? You don't know what God has to say to you. And how can you encourage people in the truth if you don't know the truth? I think what this is saying is that when it comes to God's word, we can't compromise. The council did that. They did not compromise. When God teaches us in the Bible that there is only one saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, then how can we compromise? We can't. We can't compromise. When God teaches us in the Bible that marriage is between a man and a woman, how can we compromise? When God teaches us in the Bible that sin matters, that judgment will come, how can we compromise that? We can't. That's our first takeaway today. Acts 15 says that there are gospel matters for which we can't compromise. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered that before. I don't know if you've thought, one day I'm going to have to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to have to take a stand and I'm going to have to say that this is the truth and I cannot agree with you on something. Maybe it's happened at work. Could you do it if that situation arises? Uh, there were some Christians just last month, if, if you read Voice of the Martyrs, uh, they asked for prayer about this. It's 50 Christians in Laos were told, right, you guys have become Christians, that's unacceptable. You need to return to your traditional animism, or we're going to kick you out of your village, destroy the village, get rid of any family connections you have, and scatter you around the countryside. And these guys were given a deadline, which hasn't passed as yet. But this is what they've decided to do. They've said, no, no, there's no Christians that we know of. We've got to meet with Christians. So we're going to stay. We're going to stay right here. We're going to keep meeting as a church every single day, preaching the word to one another. They drew that line in the sand. And this is happening all around the world, all the time. You have to make a decision. I wonder if you will. I wonder if you do. I think I want to encourage you to think about that right now because times are pretty good, actually. We don't have to draw lines in the sand very often. But when you get a chance, it's a good time to practice and make sure you know where you stand. Now, the second big issue. It's all about believers and disagreements. So there are a few disagreements in the passage today. I outlined them at the start, but we'll go back through them here. There's this argument about salvation. How are you saved? There's this argument between Paul and Barnabas. And then there's, and this is a little bit of cheating, there's this little argument, well, actually a non-argument, between Paul and Timothy. There should have been an argument in that case, I think. I'll tell you why in a second. But it was a non-argument. Now, how can this be? How can brothers and sisters in Christ have disagreements? What's with that? We're going to have a look at how they resolve them. So first, let's look at the one made by the, the Jerusalem Council. Now, this is going to seem a little bit confusing at first because they've just decided, how are you saved? By grace. In Jesus, that's it. 
And then James concludes this way. Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city. And every Sabbath day, he's read aloud in the synagogues. Now, to start with, you might think James is saying, well, we did say it's by Jesus alone, but actually here's some other rules. But he's not saying that, is he? It's very clear how you're saved. He's not saying that. Now, he's saying this is about not adding difficulties to these new converts, not adding difficulties. So why then does he list those four things in verse 20? Why does he say abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from strangled animal meat, from blood? Why does he say those? What's the point? And couldn't he have just said, literally, you don't need anything else. Just cross out those bits of the Bible. And that's good. Trust Jesus. Why does he put it in there? I think the key is verse 21. Verse 21 is telling us the reason these rules have been included. What it says is that there are Jews... All over the place, in everyone's living memory, this has been happening, all over the place proclaiming Judaism in their synagogues, teaching the law of Moses everywhere. It's all over the place. And it's still going on to this day. Well, to their day. So James's rules, I don't think they're actually about the Gentiles and how they're saved. They're about how the Gentiles act towards the Jews. More specifically, they're asking these new Gentile Christians to compromise their freedom. They're saying, compromise your right to be free from Judaism for the sake of the Jews who are everywhere. See, when the Jews think of sexual immorality, they think of Gentiles. And the Jews have marriage. They know it's between a man and a woman. The Gentiles, it's all over the place. They think of the Gentiles. Because we rightly think, well, these new Christians, they have to be sexually moral, don't they? But James is saying, well, there's a lot of work going on here and you guys have to work at this. If you think about the Corinthian church, the sexual immorality goes on, yet they're still Christians. But James is saying, work hard on this one for the sake of the Jews. And when the Jews think of people who are polluted by idols, who do they think of? Of course they think of the Gentiles. And we just read a little bit further in Acts and we find that there's these people that want to kill Paul Because Paul's taking away their market for idols. They make these little idol statues of Artemis. They want to kill him for it. Incredible. Idols are everywhere. And so James is saying to the Gentiles, avoid the pollution of idols. It's true that for mature Christians, idols are nothing. They're nothing compared with the true God. But for the sake of the Jewish people, avoid idols. For the sake of the Jews, completely avoid them. And when the Jews think of people who disobey the law of Moses... Obviously, they think of the Gentiles. And so he says, please compromise your freedom for the sake of the Jews. Obey these holiness laws. Yes, you could eat blood sausages. You could do that. It won't compromise your salvation. But don't. Don't do it. Don't obey. Obey the Jewish laws for holiness. Obey the Jewish laws about food for the sake of the Jews. And if you want to be as loving as possible and know all the laws, hey, it's being taught around all the synagogues. Pop into a synagogue and see what's going on. Maybe you can talk about Jesus there. So this is what James is saying. He's saying you cannot compromise the gospel. It's not possible. 
You should not do it. But there are areas where you compromise your freedom for the sake of others. I heard a story actually just recently about a Christian lady who had these great hopes. She was going to South America. She thought, this is going to be fantastic. My life's work. She was a, a young lady. She turned up in this city. The missionaries in the place met her and they put her into a house and they said, tomorrow morning, we'll go through all the kind of things to set you up here. Just hang out here, rest from your journey and relax. Now, the woman sat there for a little while and was thinking, well, I'm not actually that tired. I know what I'll do. I'll go and explore the city. So she hopped on a bus and went and explored around the city. She sat on a bus. There was a seat like a free double seat, like in a Sydney bus, she sat down. And there was a few men standing. So she thought, oh, you should have a seat. And she invited a man to come and sit down next to her, not thinking anything more of it. Next morning, the missionaries come around to her house, knock on the door and say, I'm sorry, we have to take you to the airport. We're sending you home. And this lady was thinking, what have I done? I'm not, I've just gotten here. But in those short 12 hours, it had gone around the city that there was a prostitute, a new one in town. That's the sign that she gave. Now, her freedom was to just go and look around the city. Hey, you know, by our standards, of course you'd invite someone to sit in the seat so they can just have a rest. But she failed to listen to those other missionaries that day. And sadly, she compromised her opportunities for ministry. She thought, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. But according to that culture, no. A woman would never, ever do that kind of thing. Incredible. I don't know if she's actually gone off to do something somewhere else, but she's learnt a big lesson. By our standards, it was nothing, right? But it meant everything for telling people about Jesus. Sometimes we have to make compromises for the sake of others. I think the situation between Paul and Timothy is a fantastic illustration. Look at 16 verse 1. It says there that Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. So in the eyes of the Jews, Timothy was a Jew. His mum was a Jew. He was a Jew. And so Paul, who wants Timothy to go with him and do ministry and be involved, well, he's a disobedient Jew. He'll turn up to these synagogues and they'll look at him and say, you're a Jew who didn't get circumcised. And so Paul wants him to be circumcised. Now you can imagine Timothy at this point. Timothy's a young man. I don't want you to imagine it too deeply, but it's going to hurt. This is the first century. I don't know what knives are like. Paul says he's going to do it. Is Paul qualified? I don't know. You can imagine that they... And it's days of pain, right? Days of pain. In the Old Testament, a whole town died because they had days of pain after a circumcision. You can find that one for yourself. So out of love for the Jews, incredibly, Timothy has to cop that. Now, I'm sure he would have liked to disagree with Paul. I'm sure he would have, but he copped it. And so I want to ask you, would you be prepared to be circumcised for the gospel? Some of you say, I'm a girl, fantastic, I don't have to be. Some of you say, doesn't matter. Fortunately, most of us say, these days it isn't going to matter because, well, I haven't heard of a situation where this would matter and stop someone becoming a Christian. But would you be prepared to take that level. If you think of what Timothy went through, would you be prepared to take that level of discomfort, do something that's against your freedom? Would you be prepared to do that? I think that's how you can judge whether you're responding to this. 
So here's a little way you could respond. You could say, you know what? I want to evangelize Muslims. So I'm going to learn how to cook food that doesn't offend Muslims. I'm not going to cook my favorite bacon dish. I'm going to find something else to cook. There's a tiny little way that you are impacting your personal freedom on what you eat. A little bit more. Would you be prepared to reorganize your week? Would you say, actually, you know what? I can reorganize my week so that I can teach scripture. Because there's a stumbling block for a lot of kids these days. No one can teach them the gospel. There's no opportunity, yet they have to go to scripture. Could you reorganize your week to teach scripture? Maybe a little bit more. Could you go and knock on doors around your suburb? Could you put yourself out that far? Because you know, wow, there's not, statistically, there's not that many Christians, actually, in order to reach all of these non-Christians. So we're going to have to knock on doors. It's about the only way we're going to get a chance to talk to everyone. Would you go that far? Would you be able to go as far as saying, I'm giving up on the Australian dream. I'm not going to try and buy a house because I can do ministry right here in this area. I just can't buy a house here. So I'm going to rent. I'm going to rent forevermore for the sake of the gospel. That's giving up a bit more, isn't it? Would you be prepared to reorganize yourself so that on Sundays you turn up early to church? Because who else comes early? The visitors come early, right? Could you reorganize yourself that way? If you're a woman, could you go to a Muslim country and cover your whole body? Give up on the freedom to wear your favorite clothes so that you can proclaim the gospel to a few Muslim ladies there? Would you be able to do what the Beatties have done and give up where you live completely and go to Spain, where it's so hard sometimes for them? Could you do that? So if Timothy's setting this standard of, I'm prepared to get circumcised in the first century, that's a pretty big standard, I reckon. He was prepared to do that, and we don't even hear anything about it. It's no biggie. What are you prepared to do for the sake of the salvation of others? I want you to think about that this week. Well, what do we do, finally, when Christians can't compromise and work together? That's what Paul and Barnabas have here in verse 37. They have a sharp disagreement so you know pretty healthy debate i imagine they disagreed and if i could be a fly on the wall at this one i would have liked to be as well because it would have been an awesome uh, debate paul remembered mark from acts 13 13 he remembered when mark went them on with them on mission and mark gave up and went back to jerusalem we don't know why he just did on the other hand barnabas remembers mark mark's actually his cousin if you read colossians he remembers mark and thinks mark deserves another chance you know, we should show him grace. I'm sure he won't give up now. He's a different man. They both remember Mark and they make two different decisions and they can't agree. And so what happens? Well, it's not a matter of salvation. Neither of them is going to lose their salvation depending on what they do here. And so they agree, we'll go separate ways. And that was okay. It was okay. And let's be honest, in a family, you don't always get along. It's okay to go two different paths. They still went and served the Lord. And if you read on in your New Testament, you'll find that they actually get back together. Their mateship isn't compromised. And what we don't read anywhere is Paul saying, you know, can you just record in the New Testament that I was right in this argument? Can you just write down that Barnabas was a fool? That never happens. And Barnabas never gets in Luke's ear when he's writing it and says, you know what? Paul was the great apostle, but this was the one error. I was right. We don't hear that. <clears throat> Excuse me. We don't hear that. What we see is that these guys bear with love for one another, go their separate ways and serve the Lord. And that's okay. 
So there's no backstabbing, no hate. Sometimes that happens amongst Christians, and it's okay. So if you're worried, it's okay. So let me conclude. See, in our world, there's compromises all the time, aren't there? In a crisis, there are compromises. But Acts 15 tells us that there are for Christians areas where we can never compromise. It doesn't matter what the fight is about. If it's a gospel issue, we can't compromise. We can't compromise on Jesus is the only way to God. That's what God has told us. We have to be hard as rock on this and not compromise. But there are other times when we should bend over backwards as far as Timothy went and further for the sake of others, using our freedoms so that others might know the Lord Jesus. So we see both things today, gospel compromise, hard and freedom. Well, this week, I want you to think about how you can use your freedoms for the sake of others knowing the Lord Jesus in all sorts of ways. Be creative. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for this great gospel. You have saved us through the Lord Jesus and we don't have to do anything. We don't have to become Jews. We don't have to be good. We don't have to do anything. And so we give you great thanks for that. And so, Lord, we pray that we might respond to all that you've done by using the freedoms that are found in the Christian life so that others might know Jesus, that others might share our freedom from sin and our hope in Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.